Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And I'd like to begin by uh, thanking our fellow saloners who either bought a copy of one of my books or who made a direct donation to the salon recently. I think that I've contacted you all uh, via email by now to thank you. Uh, And uh, Corey and Michael, I'll be getting a snail mail thank you out to you as soon as I get back from this weekend's trip to Esalen. And to the donor who felt bad about only sending $5, uh, hey, I want to let you know that during my own college days, I would have had to borrow $5 from my roommate in order to make a donation. So uh, I understand what that amount can mean. And just to let you know, uh, your donation was just what I needed to get over the hump this month that uh, kept me from having to tap into my savings to pay this month's hosting bill. You know, uh, in this day and age, every little bit helps, and you have done your part to uh, keep these podcasts rolling along. Uh, All of you have, so uh, thank you all very much. Also, I want to thank uh, someone who goes by the handle K. Cycloid, who is the very first person to review my novel, The Genesis Generation, on Amazon. And while that book has been out in audio format since 2009 and on Kindle for a while now, until now there have been no customer reviews, and uh, so this was a very big deal for me. You see, uh, many of the authors that I know get all of their friends to write reviews, and that, of course, uh, does a lot to drive up sales. But since I haven't done that, there haven't been any reviews of my books on Amazon so far. And uh, ultimately, it's those online reviews that drive up sales. So, uh, K. Cycloid, I humbly thank you ever so much for your kind words, which I actually found overly generous, but uh, I'll gladly take your compliments anyway. Now let's get on with today's program, which is another recording from the Timothy Leary Archive. The recording of this talk was given to me by Bruce Damer and initially came from Dennis Berry, who at the time was the custodian of the Leary Archive, and I thank you both for passing it on to me. Now, that file had the following annotation associated with it, and I quote, Timothy Leary, Band 2-A, Humor, John Lilly, Hands-On, Turn on, drop out, and take over, plus band 2B, stage 12, body management, self-reliance, purpose of life, tape 2 of 4. <laughs> and uh, that's all I knew about it until I previewed it. Uh, by the way, there was no tape 1 of 4 that I can find. But after listening to this tape, I'm relatively sure that it is a recording of a small, uh, maybe even private, salon with uh, Dr. Timothy Leary, that was held in someone's house somewhere in Germany in 1983 or so. It begins with an evening talk that abruptly cuts off after about 25 minutes and then picks up on the following morning. And uh, you'll be sure to know when that cut takes place because (laughs) the uh, morning session begins with the sounds of both a baby and a bird in the background. Uh, Eventually the baby quieted down, but that damn bird squawked off and on for quite a while. However, uh, I was able to delete most of the bird noises whenever they uh, didn't come at the same time he was talking. My guess is that this was a very small crowd, and that may be why the good doctor doesn't seem as enlivened as we've heard him in the past. In fact, uh, throughout this first tape, he had some really long pauses between many of his thoughts, and I've done my best to cut those out too in order to uh, make it a little easier to listen to. Now, while this may not be the greatest lecture that Timothy Leary ever gave, there are quite a few interesting little gems here that I hadn't heard him say before. Uh, And I also think that it's really kind of interesting to hear him in such a small, intimate setting, which is uh, the way that some of our fellow saloners got to know him during the last decade or so of his life in uh, very small groups. So uh, from a number of perspectives, I think that this will be of interest to you. But you'll have to be the judge of that yourself. I think you can only go as far out as you have mastered the lower forms of intelligence. So that if I didn't learn to speak and think logically, uh, then I wouldn't be able to understand uh, the higher levels. The same with the body. In 1960s, uh, 8 million American people took LSD, which is a brain drug. And a lot of them uh, were not in touch with their bodies. They, they did not have confidence sexually, but didn't like the way their bodies looked. 
So they didn't know how to move their bodies. So when they take LSD, they way up there and they look back, and they wouldn't like their bodies. So you, you have to have body intelligence before you can go on. You really must, and that's why uh, the workshops here, and the dance, and the yoga, and the uh, Dan Halperin, and the Southern Christ, and the good. Because uh, if you have to master each level, you have to know how to, uh, uh, yes, you have to know uh, ABC and 2468 before you use computers. Well, I think that the uh, universe, as we can imagine it now, galaxies and universes and black holes and the constellations and star systems and planets and Earth and uh, then the planet Earth and biology and all that, uh, it's an enormous field of intelligence units. I think every, it's all, everything, sunlight, starlight, comes in packages of information and it's, uh, it's, in, it's intelligence. So I think everything is uh, in intelligence, energy intelligence. And it comes in different packages. And as Einstein says, E equals MC squared. Uh, everything is energy, and to me, energy is, intelli you know, is intelligence if you know how to uh, to receive it. So that uh, matter and everything is uh, energy at different levels of acceleration. Yes, and these uh, and these uh, levels of intelligence are uh, are a little clusters of the overall, uh, yeah. and an amoeba uh, has, has its own uh, universe, and then as we evolve, we get to be able to receive more. Uh, intelligence to me, the way we define intelligence is um, the uh, amount of information, energy you can receive, that you can store and retrieve and that you can transmit. And uh, that would include uh, human beings now can receive information from galaxies well, hundreds of light, billions of light years away. We can measure nuclear particles in the, in the linear accelerator that are going to exist sometimes a, a million a second, we can measure those. So we're becoming smarter because we, we're getting information from the smallest, quickest, to this information that's coming over the billions of light years. And uh, we are being able to store and, and use this information, but to transmit it, because we can make nuclear, nuclear uh, fusion is making a star. We're almost, the one thing we have to do is learn gravity. When we learn gravi how gravity works, we can literally make galaxies. We can make black holes. So that, that's transmitting, because it doesn't do much good you can receive and understand unless you can do something with it. But intelligence to me is the, uh, and also intelligence, you're continually open to new uh, ways of receiving, and then that has to change your, your models of uh, programming and reception so you can uh, improve uh, your transmission. And space, space migration is just one step in that direction. We're sending out signals to other stars and so on. How are we doing, Tim? What were, if you don't mind telling us, what were the, uh, sort of the three key things in your life, sort of either experiences or maybe you call them, call them revelations, or revelations, or that Sort of determine the, um, the ground for your epistemology. Well, I can't say my life. I have lived a long, long time. No, all right. So, <laughs> how about the last year? Three things in the last year yeah, totally right. changed yeah. that mind. Yeah. yeah. One is uh, computers. Yeah. Computers that, uh, and video games have totally changed uh, double mind intelligence. Second thing is a drug called ketamine, which John Lally oh, is great. Yeah. yeah, totally. Uh, now for the first time, I understand uh, out of body experiences, yeah. and I really understand. Uh, yeah. Um, and the third, um, life extension pills. Uh, I, I take life extension pills and uh, rejuvenation pills and so forth, so that uh, these um, uh, have. Um, 
I think give great hope. Uh, also, personally, I uh, they changed me. So, uh, Can you the second the drug. Kennedy, that's the drug. Yeah, the drug, which is there's a man named John Lilly who's coming next year. Yes. You can get him. <laughs> 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 He's coming. Well, yeah. <laughs> he may be here, but not here. <laughs> anyway, he definitely had his gun. There's a man named John Lilly. John Lilly is one of the greatest, uh, I think, um, philosopher scientists uh, that I've ever known. He was one of the first scientists to do uh, LSD research for the Navy intelligence. <laughs> But instead of giving LSD, he took it, and then he left the Navy. He was the first scientist who really studied um, communication with other species. And so he did all the dolphin research. No question, if people came from another planet and said, what single human being has tried to get beyond the human to communicate to listen to other species. John Lilly's almost by himself. Some of the ethologists, uh, Murray and uh, Lorenz Zimberger, and some of the uh, naturalists have done that. Uh, Lilly is just very special. Uh, three, uh, John Lilly has uh, developed the first theory of the brain as a computer, called the biocomputer. And uh, he, has, he just opened up that whole new way of looking at the brain, and new way of looking at LSD. And I think you cannot understand LSD unless you understand Lilly's theory uh, that the brain is computers reprogramming and metaprogramming the brain. That's, those are three very big um, discoveries. Four, he discovered or uh, introduced the uh, isolation tank, which uh, is very useful. For, I don't like it myself, but uh, uh, it's a very useful technique. <coughs> five, uh, well, five, he's using computers to talk to, to dolphins, and he's taking dolphins' signals and putting them in here. And then six, uh, he has taken this new drug called ketamine. Ketamine is a drug that takes you, I'll get to that tomorrow when we get to the top, uh, higher levels of intelligence, it takes you out of your body, and you really are uh, in your brain and beyond, and... Um, he has gone just so far, far up than any human being has ever been, and uh, he can still come down and talk about it. But he, uh, he he's a little hard. <laughs> because it's very boring for him down here. <laughs> and, uh, uh, he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, if he were here, he came into one of the seminars, I gave an estimate about a month ago, he came in one night and just he had uh, taken this drug ketamine. You stick it not in a vein, but just with here. He came into my seminar, you know, and he sat there, and Stanislav Brock was there, and I was there, and some of our friends, and he felt that he was with a group of people that could understand him. And so he really, for two hours later, we're going to tape, videotape. He talked, uh, he was way out there on the ketamine. And he was talking about, um, and the end he said, now he said that, I don't say that. He said, shoot up or shut up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> John Lilly, all right. <laughs> and that's Lily's teaching is one thing I learned the last year, and computers and video games, which is very important, I think. And like extension, I have a several friends in America who are uh, scientists who study uh, life extension and uh, stopping the aging process. And that, uh, they're within, right there, within, within two to five, ten years of, of discovering how to stop the aging process <coughs> through immunology, antigens, and um, DNA repair. And uh, they're, they're even, the Number one or number two bestseller book in America right now is called Life Extension. It's by uh, a man named Dirk Person and his wife, Sandy Shaw. So there's a 
a large group of scientists in America who are studying life extension. And we'll get into that tomorrow when we get into uh, higher levels. It's very intelligent to be able to um, live as long as you want to. It's stupid to die. <laughs> so we'll get into that tomorrow. Do you want to say something? What are the adverse forces of evolution in your theory? Forces energy. Uh, well, it's obvious uh, that uh, the uh, blocks to evolution are anything that keeps you from changing or discourages you from changing. And all of the, almost all of the religions uh, tell you, don't change. Just uh, pray. <laughs> and, uh, you're worthless, you're helpless, you're, uh, you just live for 70 years on like a little bug on a planet, you know, going, you know, so the only thing you can do, pray. I think religion and the political uh, systems and scientific systems that, uh, that say everything, anything that keeps you from changing, and anything that keeps uh, the individual from loving themselves and and worshiping themselves and going within and trusting themselves, anything that keeps people from being courageous about change is blocked to evolution. And we all have we all have these blocks in us too, so that uh, not just them out there, it's in us as well. You cannot generalize about drugs. Um, um, you have to take every individual where they are, and uh, uh, there is a. <laughs> The number one book in America last year <laughs> was called, uh, it's called, uh, it's about this lady in England who trains dogs, Barbara Woodhouse, you know, was she in, in Germany? Yeah. And her book is titled, There Are No Bad Dogs. Uh, there are only stupid or neurotic owners. <laughs> and I, I say the same thing about drugs. Uh, there are no bad drugs. Stupid people who don't know how to use them. Uh, stupidity is the cause of all danger. Whether it's a gun or an uh, automobile or uh, even a ballot to vote. <laughs> anything can be uh, reading and writing. Uh, anything can be dangerous. But we'll get into that. Uh, I'm going to talk about drugs uh, tomorrow. Can I say something? You're happy? Happy? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Good. Good. It's, uh, coming to Germany is very uh, interesting for me, and it's, uh, it's hard because I'm moving from city to city. I'm a little tired. I'm a little sad about Europe. So I'm a little, I'm not happy because I, uh, I love Europe. I spend, I come from Europe, and, uh, I think that uh, Europe is very sad right now. More so, I think. So I'm not uh, really happy, but it's good. I feel good. I think it's a pessimism among young people in Europe. Not all, I know, I, again, I might be wrong, it's just, you know, happy, sad, and subjective, but uh, I've, I've met a lot of young people in Europe and I've seen them, uh, that they, they don't feel whole, or they don't feel, uh, Positive, uh, they don't, uh, and they're using old ways of thinking, pigeonholes, and politics too. I mean, politics is so uh, seems to be so important in Europe and um, <laughs> in America. Uh, most intelligent people, politics is uh, uh, nothing. We expect there'll be some better politics, but uh, yeah. you know, I guess you know what I mean. Then. Well, I keep changing the Rwanda uh, as we go along. Uh, for example, in 1960, we were saying, turn on, tune in, and drop out. Uh, turn out means go within. Uh, everybody says that's so not Tune in means then make something beautiful. Of and drop out meant not just, amen. <laughs> yeah. Or not even like this, looking at your neighbor. Drop out means to uh, drop out of any blind conformity to any system, whether it's your religion or your 
so that you drop out because it's a lot harder to live as a dropout than it is you know you're going along it's easy yeah so that um but now i'm telling you people uh, turn on tune in and take over because <laughs> 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 now they're old enough to not even to um so many of them so that, um, uh, no the last bumper sticker i had uh, it was uh, actually put it on cars. Wonderful. <laughs> it was um, intelligence is the ultimate aphrodisiac. How do you drive him along? Is that someone hums? Yes, I believe that there's an enormous range of predetermined, like you take a seed of a oak tree, a little seed, it's predetermined that's going to grow up, you know, or you take uh, your spermatozoa, I mean, I won't, but uh, <laughs> anyway, it's predetermined that that will go through, um, so I think that yes, uh, we're predetermined, space migration, we're predetermined to leave the planet, I think it's uh, predetermined that we will uh, live for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, so that uh, I think it's predetermined that we will uh, master higher levels of intelligence that are beyond life. Meta, you know, probably from other. I think he's a predetermined. But then when you say, "What's the beginning?" or "Where does it end?" I, I feel that as we get smarter, we will uh, maybe we'll learn at the end that it's just all game, like Buddha said, and why bother? I don't know. But I have many arguments with my friends who are Buddhists, very intelligent Buddhists. Like Allen Ginsberg, he said, yeah. well, why bother? I mean, sure, you can live for a thousand years, and you can have a, an erection for a thousand hours, <laughs> and uh, you probably will find in outer space other species from other galaxies that are more intelligent, and sure, and do all that, but it's still all void, <laughs> because it's true that, uh, you know, even the atoms, they be void. So you also come around to what Buddha said, and you know, like, and I say, no, that's laziness, uh, because uh, I, uh, I think that if Buddha were alive today, she would be a uh, geneticist, or, or she would be a, you know, a computer expert, uh, because we are, we are growing, and we are expanding, and we are, um, and I do feel that in spite of uh, the newspaper, I think there are more and more wonderful intelligence to human beings around the planet. So that, uh, I think there's still hope to get smarter. But we can, I also can't say where it began. Maybe it was Jehovah. <laughs> when we get there, maybe it's all meaningless. But I think there's so much room to grow that, and I think it's, uh, it's silly to ask a question or to answer a question before you get to that level. Like you said, a three-year-old baby will say, Mommy, uh, what is sex? Said, well, what is life? Ice cream? He said, well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like uh, you know, uh, playing in. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, uh, and I think many uh, philosophers and religious leaders are saying, the end, the end, the ultimate, when I uh, think we, uh, we have to take these steps uh, that will lead us to get smarter so that we can what is the end or what is the beginning? <laughs> I would like to ask you a question. My problem, or one of my problems with the new age stuff or scene is that uh, it's confusing. It's extremely confusing because there are so many offers mm -hmm. that you could spend many lifetimes mm -hmm. just to case them all. Mm -hmm. yeah? And um, I would like to know, to know your prescription to deal with <laughs> that confusion. <laughs> Number one, get a life extension pill. Number two, I do believe that each of us we're made differently, and we we have uh, in sociobiology there, there are two kinds of um, of uh, wiring or, or casts. They call them like in the insect hive. There are the warrior ants and there are the uh, worker ants and there are the ants that dig down to get the water and there's the queen and all that the different 
to the division of labor. So I think that uh, at this level, our, our, we have different kind of brains that uh, are geared, some of us can do things much better than others. Um, for example, I think that the uh, human New Age movement, the present time, is too body-oriented. And uh, naturally, the people that are uh, wired to be good at that, naturally, they can teach that. But I don't think everyone should have to be able to do yoga as well as, uh, or to be able to dance as well as Van Alper or anything like that. You must get, learn enough of it, but then go on to another level. And at some stage, you'll find a particular stage that you're really best at. And then, then you can master that and teach that. But I think you have to learn all of them and feel comfortable in all of them. But uh, if you learn one body motion, and you learn Tai Chi, then you don't have to learn three years Sufi Dervish, and then you have to learn <laughs> five years stomach Christ, and then nine years the deep body massage, and then 12 years standing on your finger. Uh, like that. Uh, although some people, yes. Yeah, if you really, but uh, I think you must feel comfortable at every stage, like swimming. Like you want to be able to swim, and so but you don't want to be, uh, you know, spend eight hours a day being an Olympic champion. That's what you to do. But to really know yourself, you have to open yourself up. And, uh, and maybe I think that for many of us, our real stage is ahead of us. You know, we haven't come to it yet, but it's good to master the other early stages. And, you know. For example, there are some people, one, one level of intelligence, and it's a tremendously wonderful uh, level of intelligence, is to be a good parent. Now, uh, I think parenthood is good for everyone to go through. My theory of evolution is that you should try to be good at every level, but you can't master every level, and you must be very modest about, see, I'm not a very good parent at certain levels, at certain ages I am, others I'm not. Um, but I think there are some people like teachers, or people that work with children, and child therapists, and uh, they're just, they're just wonderful, important, perhaps the most important division of labor. And uh, then a lot of people feel guilty because you're not a perfect parent. Uh, I'm giving you a round of answers. Could you tell something about uh, the sources you are drawing your conviction or uh, knowledge from, for instance, in the case of the, pre the predetermination we were talking about before? Uh, where, where are you getting this knowledge from? Oh, well, uh, everywhere. I read uh, three or four newspapers a day. I read a lot of magazines, particularly science magazines. I scan television. I talk to uh, intelligent people. Uh, I'll give you one example, because it kind of prepares for tomorrow. We're getting into genetic and biological intelligence. I think someone answered that. Um, in Hollywood, we have a little problem in the hills with coyotes. You know, coyotes are the little, uh, like little wolves, little boxes. And coyotes are so smart because they, we got rid of the uh, buffalo, we got rid of the deer, we got rid of uh, the wolves, we got rid of the bears. Uh, but these coyotes, they can come and get your garbage, you know, and uh, they just live up there and they watch and they. Uh, they try to trap them that they know the poison. You know, they, um, uh, but still, because uh, the building of warmer houses and the, the coyote population was getting lower, and they're saying, ah, good. Only just one coyote came down and did a little girl. Oh, and of course, when anything that hurts the babies, oh, we gotta kill all the coyotes. But then they discover something terrible. The few coyotes that were left Instead of having two babies, the mothers were having four to six babies. Instead of having one boy and one girl, they were having four out of six girl coyotes. And that means that the coyote gene pool was multiplying the population by about ten because uh, one each female can then have six and So, I'm going to talk today about 12 
stages of evolution or 12 kinds of intelligence which are future to most human beings. We're talking about the 12 stages to come for our species and for every individual. Although most of you in this room have gone into many of these future stages. From India, 4,000 years ago, where the first yogis used Soma and wrote the Vedas, to Athens, where Socrates and the Eleusinian Mysteries went down underground and uh, used some sort of plant to produce trances or visions. To uh, 1970s and the 1980s, Sauerlandstern at this conference, the first big step in activating your self, your neurotechnology, is the discovery of the body. And um, from India and from Persia, from the Dervishes and from the Greeks at the time of the Hellenistic uh, period uh, to uh, Feldenkrais and acupuncture. Uh, the, the first step in the discovery and the evolution of the self is you have to say, this is my body. In the Catholic uh, Mass, kick as corpus meum, right? This is my body. The resurrection of the body, you have to say, my body is not an instrument of the state or of the uh, Communist Party or of the Capitalist Party or, uh, or the church, whatever. My body is my own. This is a tremendous step uh, of independence and a big step in intelligence. And uh, in the Western world, in America and Canada and Western Europe, in the last 20 years, there has been <coughs> an incredible revolution. A hundred years ago, in um, Freudian Vienna, or in Victorian England, the body was the big taboo, <coughs> because the body is the key <coughs> to, a, to being self. And everywhere, the religion, big monotheistic political religions. In every century, all over the world, the first thing they do is make you feel that your body is something terrible. The Catholic Church, they wear black. And uh, uh, in Freudian Vienna or in England, they, uh, to see a young woman's ankle, or a young man's ankle, or have I left anybody out? <laughs> uh, it's so shocking to see an angle. The Ayatollah Khomeini, and he came into power, and the first thing he did was to say, the women cannot bathe at the beaches where the men bathe in, in Iran. Uh, wherever you have um, the big religions or the big totalitarian forces, they hide the body. They make you feel ashamed of the body. And a hundred years ago, there was no education about sex. They said yesterday, a uh, hundred years ago, textbooks from medical associations. There was a Harvard professor a hundred years ago wrote a big book, and he said that masturbation or Sexual intercourse before marriage causes the brain to rot, causes psychosis, uh, causes the, uh, uh, you know what the amotivational syndrome is? It's not like you smoke marijuana, you don't want to uh, work, um, so that sex makes people lose interest in, um, in their job. Um, and not only if you masturbate, not only will you go to the mental hospital, but your children will be monsters. So they were saying 100 years ago uh, about sex, 
what they're now saying about the brain and drugs that access the brain. Because once the human being says, this is my body, and I don't want to use it for anybody else, but uh, it just, the key is, if I have divinity, or if I have many stages of intelligence within, if I have God within, then my body is the temple, or my body is the wonderful vehicle for higher intelligence inside. So then um, the person begins to take care of their body, and in America, and I'm sure in Germany now, we have diets, and we have massage, and we have uh, tanks, and we have um, uh, one of the biggest businesses in America today is body um, health and body beauty and uh, facelifts and uh, yoga and uh, health clubs and jogging and uh, these kind of shoes and clothes and all sorts of sports and uh, skiing and scuba driving and uh, recreation. Uh, development of the body is probably the biggest industry in America and probably in Germany today. And that's part of the <coughs> called the me generation uh, that came from the 60s when people said divinity is within and people began, became, even in medicine, see, before the 1960s and 70s, your body belonged to the doctor. And uh, if you were sick, uh, they put you in a factory like a hospital and the doctor would come and fix you and then you'd go out. Uh, most young, intelligent Americans, and I'm sure it's true in Germany too, now realize that um, you are responsible for your own health and no doctor. As a matter of fact, hospitals in America, even most doctors will admit a hospital is a warehouse for disease. There's all sick people come here they, in the hospital and they leave their germs and they go out. So that in many hospitals in America, there are all these uh, strains of diseases in the hospital. So the, the first future level of intelligence has to do with the body. And uh, there are three stages of body intelligence. The first is uh, you just enjoy your body. And uh, in America, the way this happened, probably in Germany too, uh, Americans began to discover their body. They needed help to do this. And the help came in the form of drugs. So that um, in the 1960s and now 1970s, now 1980s, um, 65 to 70 million Americans have used marijuana. Many of them no longer, but they have used it and they've learned how to use it. And drugs are access codes to the computer so that uh, um, if you really have mastered the yoga or the method of marijuana, you don't have to smoke it all the time. The working person in America, and I'm sure this is true in Germany, is wearing Gucci and Gloria Vanderbilt and uh, fixing the hair. Only the aristocrats did that before. See, because the aristocrats, the rich, so but have always considered, well, I want myself as my body, and uh, it's always been the rich and the dukes and the cardinals that have uh, that free sexuality and free drugs and so forth. But in the 1960s and 70s in America, um, the first time, there's this mass movement of um, uh, backpacking and climbing and camping. And, uh, uh, and then there's fashion, health, body management, aesthetics, Everyone's running around painting, and everyone in America in their ballet classes in Missouri. <laughs> Missouri's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> 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 I'm afraid to say. Erotics, there has been this tremendous um, sexual revolution in America in the last 20 years, and in Europe too, where um, there are no longer two sexes. Um, see, first there were two sexes. Um, Male and none. <laughs> then uh, two and three and four. Now there's uh, there's, uh, there's even celibacy now. It's chic to be celibate. So that uh, all this is a signs signs that 
people are individually deciding how they want to fix their hair, how they want to look, uh, how they want to enjoy their life, their body. Uh, sensuality, perfume, like the, uh, the football players, you know, come uh, on. And uh, uh, now the uh, people who run the big churches or the people who run the big government, or the, they don't like that because they say this is self-indulgence. Well, we who are interested in increasing intelligence, one of my jobs is to go around and say to people, you should be self-reliant, you should self-discover, you should be self-indulgent. <laughs> because you either indulge yourself or you're indulging the commissar or the chancellor or uh, now, the paradox of being an intelligent person, or the paradox of having a self and managing yourself and taking care of yourself is this. It is harder work to be self-reliant than it is to be a follower. It's so easy before. You cut your hair just like the soldiers, and you wore the same clothes, and you went to the same factory, and you like that, and you went back, and you you made love the same way, <laughs> or not. <laughs> uh, it's hard to have to figure out what do I really feel and I want. It's much harder to be a self than to be a conforming person. That's called, uh, what I'm talking now is uh, the discovery of body intelligence. Life is no longer to just feed yourself or to please uh, the establishment. Life, at this level of intelligence, is an art. And in one way, you, you're an artist, you're God. The artist, or it's neurotechnology of aesthetics and, and uh, hedonics, hedonism, and erotics. Now, hedonism, which is uh, food. In America now, they have gourmet foods. You go into any chain store, in any chain store, and you find nuts from Honolulu, and you find uh, special rice from China, and you find uh, best beer from Germany, and you find the best wines, and, best, and this is the average middle class person, is buying herring from Denmark, and uh, buying uh, beer from the Philippines, so that instead of just one beer, or one mac potatoes and meat, there are hundreds of ways to please the, the taste. Uh, the same thing is true about uh, music and sound, high fidelity. And uh, so that the average American, and I'm sure it's true of the average German working person now, is spending more and more percentage of money on the art of living. Now, if you want to get a high five set, it's hard work. You have to read, you have to listen. What kind of music do you want? Uh, quadraphonic? You have to study Sony, Mitsubishi, uh, Ura? You have to test? I mean, it's so easy. Before, you, know, you just turn on the radio and listen. Now, it requires intelligence. It requires action. It requires science. Science of aesthetic living. And sex, too. Sex is a thousand times more complicated now than it was uh, 20, 30 years ago. Because in those days, well, it was... <laughs> oh, you'd go to the Riemerbaum, maybe, uh, <laughs> like that. But even the Riemerbaum now, there are a thousand times different times, right? So um, um, I'm talking about the, the first levels of, uh, of the future in the past as we were struggling as a species. Uh, it was intelli the intelligence was to eat. 
and the intelligence was to protect yourself, and then the intelligence was to um, build shelters and uh, been through these early stages. But as we go into the future, uh, what is the purpose of life? To eat? Well, that's like an animal. What is the purpose of life? To defend yourself? Well, that's like a dinosaur. What is the purpose of life? Uh, to Deutsch von Liberalis? Good, yeah, no. Or to fight for Christ? You know, no. Uh, fight for the Ayatollah against Iraq? No. What is the purpose of life? The purpose of life now is to, yes, you have enough to eat and you give uh, to food to other people because if you have food and they don't, uh-uh. See, the intelligent person, the intelligent person is a good person because, uh, you know, you know that you can't be happy if your neighbor is starving or if you're pushing down your neighbor, so you have to, uh, and the intelligent person also, the intelligent person <laughs> learns to mind your own business. You know what I mean by that? That you don't try to go around telling everyone else uh, what to do. Laban would lay the last one as intelligent and give plenty of space for other people to grow too. So, what is the purpose of life? The purpose of life at a higher level now is art, beauty, erotics, aesthetics, hedonics. At the level of, uh, of sound, you know, of high, high five, the first, the first Step, you know, people just get the record, you play the record, you listen, and then the active uh, engineer, aesthetic engineering, uh, or aesthetic or erotic engineering involves uh, what's known as the yoga, and then the next stage would be hooking this up with somebody else. So that, uh, at every stage of, of intelligence, you have to learn how to receive, and then to master it, and then you have to share it and transmit it. Now I said that the brain, these levels of intelligence that I'm going to define are all based upon morphology or physiology, anatomy. I'm not just making them up uh, in my mind. The body is the first. The second level of stage of future intelligence is the brain. At every level, uh, you have to have training, yeah. and you have to have hardware. You have to have technology. Yeah, yeah. Like in order to uh, for Noah to read, we have to have books, we have to have paper, we have to have pencil, we have to read. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this seminar is basically a seminar on how to increase your bodily intelligence. And there's a, a there's hardware, there's the candles, and there was the um, uh, the um, well, everything I'm talking about is hardware to to learn how to increase your intelligence at that level. To smoke marijuana, for example, and, and there are, by the way, there are drugs that can help you at every level of intelligence, or help you get back to any level of intelligence. Uh, the the drug for aesthetics, erotics, hedonics, art, uh, the bodily drug is marijuana. You smoke marijuana and you, you get very hungry. Uh, you smoke marijuana and music slows down. Uh, you smoke marijuana and time stretches out so that uh, if you're making love, it just goes on and on and on. The music goes on and on and on. The, um, uh, you're driving a car to marijuana, you drive for 12 hours, <laughs> and you only go two, two blocks. You know. uh, now, there is a technique in smoking marijuana. And many, many people, the first time they smoke marijuana, they get paranoid because they're so sensitive. They think that, uh, um, or um, the first time they smoke marijuana, they, uh, they get very nervous and they don't uh, feel anything. Or they smoke marijuana and they just eat, and eat, and eat, and eat. And, uh, <laughs> there are lots of Hollywood stars that have given them marijuana because it makes them fat. Uh, also, uh, at every level of intelligence, uh, you can overdo it so that reading is wonderful. Reading books are wonderful. But if you read, 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 read all the time, uh, 
you know, uh, you are a very narrow person. And uh, the same thing is true of any bodily art. It's wonderful to be able to uh, do Tai Chi, but if you do Tai Chi all the time and you think that's all there is and like that, then, uh, and the same thing is true of uh, marijuana. Marijuana is a very special key to intelligence. In the 60s and early 70s, there were lots of people who uh, would get up in the morning and they'd lie in bed and reach over and they get a joint and they light it. Hello, Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> and they just kind of float uh, through the day. Well, um, it's good to have an experience like that. All these experiences are good, but you just simply, you simply cannot uh, go through life just like floating in this uh, situation. So that um, um, it is stupid to use marijuana and to go to class where you want to learn quickly. Uh, the court of Vietnam. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. The way the DNA has designed the brain is fantastic. For example, when Noah learns how to talk, and there's a man named Noah Chomsky from Harvard, he's a linguistic person, uh, it, it's a certain age when that clicks on. And, uh, when, when a new circuit of the brain clicks on, Noah will make an imprint. You imprint the immediate environment. Do you know the experiments of Lorenz with the, uh, you know what imprinting is? Imprinting is um, in fowl and mammals and in human beings too. There is a critical period after a little baby goose or gosling is born, there's a period of a few hours that an imprint takes place. And whatever moves, the, the goose will imprint that as his mother. And you know the story about Lorenz, um, the, the, uh, the, yeah, he walks along and then all the little, he's polyam, and then they, they put worms in his uh, ear, and they want to make love to him, you know, and uh, the, uh, the, uh, they trained uh, chickens to uh, imprint ping pong balls, you know, soccer footballs, or there was the case of the uh, little baby giraffe, and the hunters killed the mother just after the baby was born, and the hunter's jeep came up, so the, uh, the giraffe imprinted the jeep, and wanted to suckle the jeep, and then when it got older, it wanted to fuck the jeep. <laughs> uh, uh, now, uh, that happens to us too. See, imprinting, is, is a blind fixing of something in the environment at that critical period. Now, 99 times out of 100, the first moving object is the mother. So it's okay. It's only when, they've done all sorts of experiments to, uh, to uh, study how it takes place. So isn't it wonderful? If Noah was born in China, Noah would imprint Chinese language. Uh, Noah will probably print German. So it's well known that a baby or a young child can pick up a language like that, whereas an adult is very hard to learn another language. Uh, that's because of imprinting. Now, imprinting continues at every stage of individual development. It's well known that the first, when the sexual brain turns on. No, the red light's gone for sex. <laughs> the first sexual experience you have are very important. And they're, you know, crop debbing and all the cases that if your first uh, orgasm was when you were being spanked by, <laughs> by a maid with red bloomers, you run around finding a big, you know, fat woman with red bloomers. too, there's a phenomenon, see we're talking about immediate imprinting or learning or programming. It's called the Bernays-Sauce Syndrome. There was a psychologist who was a Skinnerian psychologist and he believed in conditioning and a reward and um, punishment and a reward and punishment and reinforcement and, 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 and 
and then he went to a restaurant and he had uh, a steak with Bernays sauce, but there's something wrong with it. And he got very, very sick. <laughs> so the next day he's driving to the university and he went by the restaurant and he got sick. Anytime he uh, sees Bernie sauce, <laughs> that's one shot learning. One shot. How can you do that? If you can learn, uh, you know, uh, that's what imprinting or reprogramming is of the brain. <laughs> now, this is a wonderful, wonderful DNA program that babies are being born, geese are being born, giraffes are being born, human beings are being born all over the world, and they imprint as reality what's there immediately at the right time. And 99 times out of 100, that's okay. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. And uh, that is where tape two of four cut off. I'll probably go ahead and play the remaining three tapes, but I'm going to have to preview them first to see if it'll be worth our time to listen to them. But in the first part of the tape that we just listened to, I seem to remember him saying a couple things about other topics that I wanted to hear, so we'll probably be listening to the next tape together in a week or so. However, I've got to kind of wrap things up right now because uh, I've got to start packing because in the morning my wife and I will be driving to the Esalen Institute near Big Sur, California, where Bruce Damer and I will be leading a weekend workshop titled Terrence McKenna Beyond 2012. And uh, probably by next month, you'll be able to hear most of that workshop in some of our future podcasts. Additionally, I understand that uh, the next two installments of the Terrence McKenna workshop held on the Hawaiian island of Maui in 1994 are uh, now winging their way to me. So our summer fair here in the salon looks like it's going to be uh, more talks from Leary, McKenna, Damer, and myself. And uh, hopefully I'll come up with a few other talks to add some more variety to the mix as well. Now, before I go, there are two other things I'd like to mention. One is that our fellow saloner and good friend of mine, Sheldon Norberg, is about halfway through a Kickstarter campaign to raise the funds needed to create a film version of his one-man play, Confessions of a Dope Dealer. And uh, if you remember, we had Sheldon as a guest speaker here in the salon way back in podcast number 64. It's uh, really been too long now since Sheldon has performed this play on the stage, uh, which he did in New York City, San Francisco, and Burning Man, among other places. In fact, uh, I was lucky enough to see the full performance at Burning Man a few years ago and a partial performance at one of the Mind States conferences. And I'm here to tell you that I rate it right up there with Hal Holbrook's one-man show about Mark Twain. Of course, uh, as much as I like Mark Twain, I have to admit that Sheldon's uh, performance and subject matter uh, actually had more appeal for me. Anyway, I'll put a link to his campaign in the program notes to this podcast in the event that you can help him out. And uh, as you know, you can find the program notes uh, for these podcasts via psychedelicsalon.us. Now, uh, there's one more thing that I want to mention, and it's a complete sci-fi geek out. (laughs) And uh, I suspect that a good number of our fellow saloners have read William Gibson's novel, uh, Neuromancer. And if you're like me, you've probably read it more than once. Well, not since my first read of Neuromancer have I had so much fun reading a science fiction novel. It's called Ready Player One and is by Ernest Cline. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if you've already read it. But if you haven't, and if you've ever played a video game or an arcade game or used a Trash 80, a Commodore 64, or enjoyed one of William Gibson's novels, then, well, I don't think you'll be able to put this book down. Not only is it a fast-moving and well-thought-out story, it's uh, probably the best piece of 1980s geekdom that exists. So, if you're a geek, a science fiction fan, or simply a survivor of the 1980s, I think that you will truly enjoy this book. Oh, and uh, one last thing. While preparing for the Esalen workshop, I put together a little video biography that I've titled From Larry to Lorenzo, The First 70 Years. (laughs) Unfortunately, there isn't going to be enough time for me to uh, show that at the workshop and uh, still get in some of the other things that I want to cover. 
So instead of keeping it only for that event, I've instead posted it on my blog, and I'll add it to the program notes for this podcast uh, when I get a chance and if I remember. (laughs) But uh, since I'm spending most of my time working on other writing, it's uh, become quite obvious that I'm never going to be getting around to writing an autobiography, Uh, not that any but my closest friends would even be interested. However, uh, if you want a very brief look at how a small-town Irish Catholic boy morphed into the psychedelic podfather, you can check out this video piece in which I cover my life at the rate of 12 seconds per year, (laughs) which, uh, now that I think about it, is about how fast it seems to have taken place for me. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for today, and so this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.